Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, everybody. Today we are talking to Tim again, excellent coach. Welcome to the Wild Ginger Running YouTube channel, live broadcast, and podcast. And we are doing winter base training today for ultra runners with our favorite coach and physio, Tim Pickett from HP3 Coaching. How are you today, Tim? Yeah, all good. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, talking about winter and it's uh, not pleasant outside. Um, <laughs> think about uh, my, my run later on in the rains. But uh, as the, the Scandinavians say, there's no such thing as bad weather, just uh, inappropriate clothing. So just got to get wrapped up exactly in some, that. some decent exactly. kit. Yes, exactly yep. that. And I like the fact that you've moved us swiftly onto kit because today the podcast and the live broadcast is sponsored by Saw Running. Um, so um, let's just do a little shout out to them first. Um, they're a high end brand of trail and road running apparel and they use the most eco-friendly manufacturing processes so that they can make the um, top quality gear that should last you a really long time. So find out more about that in my interview with Tim, a different Tim, not this Tim, a Tim Saw from Saw Running um, in the interview that will just pop up just there. Um, so find out more about that there. Um, and I wore this this morning on my early morning, very cold winter run. Um, it's the Saw Windbreaker and it was really nice because I just had a t-shirt underneath and it was the only thing that I needed. It's got a really nice uh, felicy lined inner to it, which feels really nice. Really enjoyed that in the morning because it was quite crisp. Nice and bright as well. Good colour for oh, morning. Yes. Yes, I was just about to say that as well. Um, it's got these reflective bits on it as well. I'm just popping up a couple of pictures here um, of the windbreaker. It's got reflective bits, not only on the on the cuffs, which you can just see there, but um, also around the waist as well. And it's got a little pocket in the back as well. So you can take uh, keys and a credit card with you. Um, and if you aren't satisfied, I didn't know this, I just found this out on the website just now, if you're not satisfied after running 100 miles in any sore garment, you can also return it to them for a credit note to the full value of the item. So you really can't go wrong with like finding the right size or the right garment for you from sore. Um, and even better, as a wild ginger running um, 
follower and watcher of the channel, um, we have an exclusive 15% discount. So check the film description below for the details as that will change every single month. So, so check the podcast show notes as well or the film description below. So... So thank you for that good segue there, Tim. I don't know if you meant to start talking about gear. <laughs> um, but winter base training, my first question for you is, what even is it? What is winter base training, um, and especially for ultra runners? Well, essentially the base phase is laying the foundations for whatever else is going to come later. And how long that phase is going to last will depend somewhat on your availability of time before your next event. So classically, we're talking about spring and summer racing. So you've had your your off-season, so you've done your last race maybe in the autumn. You've had a period of time where you've rested and recovered, and now we're starting to build back up again. So just getting back into that groove. And really, the, the bigger the foundation you can build the higher you're then going to be able to build your peak. So we think about it a little bit like a pyramid. Obviously, the, the broader the base, the higher the peak you can get without the risk of it getting too narrow and risk of it toppling over. In other words, you get ill or injured. So, yeah, we think about it as that foundation phase before you then start layering on top more quality work, more intensity. Um, it's, it's getting into the, the rhythm of training, whatever that rhythm might look like on a weekly and a monthly basis or however you structure your your training plan most people are working on a seven day cycle uh, you know do you have some people working on 10 days or 14 day type cycles um, or people on shift patterns might be on an eight day cycle for example so it, you know it will vary depending on the individual but yeah it's just getting into the getting into the rhythm getting into the groove laying those foundations most of it's nice and easy the last time you and I spoke, we talked about reflecting on the previous season. So as part of that reflective process, you might have identified some particular areas that that were maybe lacking in the previous season um, or some areas where you struggled. Um, maybe it was you, you picked up a particular injury. Um, you were you maybe identified you needed to work on things like you're running cadence or you're running form. Maybe you feel like you want to work on improving your speed. So you might have elements within this, this base phase where you're addressing some of those weaknesses while you've got the time and the resources to, to maybe focus on those weaker areas before you then start to, like I say, build and then ramp up into, into race season. Ah, so with so because I was the next question was going to be like when is winter like uh, wet like when to do base training and I suppose it depends when your next race is so um, are you thinking of um, winter base training right now as sort of like your first race would maybe be in March or April or something like that or do, it really yeah, depends exactly. on the person doesn't it? It depends on the person depends on obviously the event that you're you're building towards. So in a very traditional sense in, in the UK, we'd be thinking about maybe your first A race of the year might be, uh, let's say, a spring marathon. So let's say London Marathon, for example, or, you know, the, the marathon to be having sort of March and April time. You only really want to mentally focus hard on a, on a build for maybe a three month build for a particular race. Um, so what happens before that? Well, we've got to lay those foundations so that when we go into that build, 
we're in a good, strong place to then knuckle down for the focused attention of building towards, let's say, a spring marathon. So what do we do in November and December? Because if January, February, March is prepping for those marathons, what do we do now? So that's the kind of winter base, laying those foundations before we then move into the race. Okay. So I've got a very important question for you here. So I've signed up to the Arc of Attrition on the 27th of January. So do I just like not have a winter base? Am I just build from now? Or (laughs) like what, like some people might be training for the Arc. They might be training for like the spine race or one of the other, like the little, the, the short fun run versions of the spine race. Yeah, that's it. The sort of the sprint, sort of thirty odd mile. Um, so okay, so traditionally we're talking about winter, winter base, because traditionally we're thinking about you're not doing an A race until the spring. But of course, the, the sort of the culture of ultra running has shifted in the sense that there are now an increasing number of winter ultra races. So they then they become your, your focus. So if you're racing in January, you've started your specific race prep already. So you're in that phase. So it, what, it's what came before that. Yes. Okay. Uh, that was a different race. <laughs> well, therein race, lies, race, race. <laughs> yeah. So therein lies maybe another problem is that it's very easy just to be racing non, you know, essentially all year round. Mm-hmm. And you're constantly in race build, recover, race build, recover. And you never give yourself that off season. And you never give yourself that longer base preparation phase. And it is it is a potential risk that if you don't give yourself that time off, that you can end up burning out. So it's important to think about what races you're picking. And there's so many out there. I mean, that's the problem. There's just so many races. There's <laughs> yeah. so much choice. Um, you know, certain individuals will be racing almost every weekend. Um, what one chap springs to mind. Um, <laughs> and a chap goes by the name of Toyota Crown. So anybody with, with a triathlon background might know the name Toyota Crown. Uh, yes, that's the name of a car, but it's also his nickname. Um, <laughs> but he will do an Ironman race or an ultramarathon race or a marathon pretty much every weekend wow <laughs> he is the exception yeah um, and he's presumably like this isn't his a race he's like using them as a sort of a training thing like just jogging along he, yeah he just loves racing so he, his training is racing yeah <laughs> so, so again he's he's completely sort of at one end of the spectrum um but what with so yeah if we come back to you and the fact you've got a january so if you've got people who are doing january races you need to be looking at the whole season, that 12-month build. You might be needing to look at multi-year planning. Where am I going to put my off-season in this multi-year plan? Ah, and how so long start... should it be, the off-season? Because I did take October sort of off, um, yeah. and I felt really rubbish. I took like three weeks, not off running, but just like pootling about sort of running. And I started to feel really rubbish. So I actually, I said to myself that I would start training again in November for the arc to, mm-hmm. to give me three months. But I actually started on the 26th of October because I was just like, I think energy begets energy. 
Like I just it think, yes. yeah, I just felt like I was like really rubbish because I wasn't doing any running and I just, I just had no energy even if I went out for a run. I don't know if that was part of my recovery process from, you know, those couple of 50 milers I did late in the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It just, I just felt a bit like n- not very energetic at all in October. And I don't know if that was because I wasn't running or because I actually did need a rest that I did give myself. So everybody will be different. Some people, they just need maybe a week off, mm-hmm. 10 days. Some people need two weeks off. Some people might need longer. But what do we mean by off? Yes. And I think the most important <laughs> thing is that the kind of focus, the intensity is dropped right off. You know, any training sessions you do are optional. And I would change the sort of language a little bit. So in this phase, you don't do training, you don't do sessions, you might exercise. So it might be going for a run, it might be doing going bike riding, it might be going climbing, hiking, swimming, playing tennis, something. So you might be active, but you're not training. And there's a difference there. And that difference is going to be physical, but a big part of it is going to be psychological. So when we're training for a particular event, you know, we we have sort of training sessions that we have to get done or we really want to get done. But in this phase now, it is very optional. So if you wake up and go, I really don't feel like it today, fine. If you wake up and go, I fancy it's a nice sunny day, I fancy going for a run, fine. But there's no need to do certain sessions, certain intensities, volumes it's all optional it's relaxed um historically people would take two weeks zero training and then try and get back into it again but of course two weeks we do lose fitness and that's okay that's not a problem but we will lose fitness so when we try and jump back into training again if we jump back in too quick because we've lost fitness we can then essentially overtrain, even though we're maybe doing less than we were before yes. That break. Yes, I think that's what's happening to me because I've just like jumped back into training now and I've got my old injury that wasn't flaring up at the end of summer. It's the, the thing that just comes up uh, on the side of my um, calf and I thought, hang on a minute, that's probably something related to slight overtraining because it doesn't feel like overtraining because it's what I'm used to. But suddenly to put a backpack on and run for two hours is that's probably right. overtraining compared to October. So yeah, I'm glad you said that. What were you doing two weeks ago? Is what you're doing now significantly more than you were doing two weeks ago? Yes. If the answer is yes, then you possibly jumped in at a higher level than you're capable of at that moment in time, even if it is slightly less than what you were doing four weeks ago. Yeah. So it's just appreciating that. So if we come back, we traditionally we might have a, a block of zero training, completely off, legs up in the air, resting. And for some people that will be needed. And then when you do come back, it is a nice, very gradual rebuild. But for other people, it might just be two weeks of optional activity, just playing rather than training. Yeah. Being social rather than training. Um, It might be you just take 10 days. It might be just a week. It really depends on that individual. And of course, when you take it will also depend on what's happening throughout the cycle. So I've just started working with um, an athlete. And because of family commitments in the summer holidays, they're going to have their two weeks 
essentially off, which will just be going hiking with the kids in the middle of the summer. That will be their seasonal off. They will probably then have mini breaks at different phases of the, of the yearly cycle. But rather than that being in sort of September, October, November, it's going to be in July. Mm-hmm. So again, you know, they will then build towards a, a late autumn key race, having had a, a, a break at the beginning of the summer. Yes. And so, like, how long in total should the sort of the winter base, well, the base training be? I mean, we've got a question here from Sarah on, um, I think she's listening live as well. So she she has um, written something additionally here, but she's written on the Facebook group for the patrons. Um, how do you navigate training between races in the off season? Because she's she's worried lose about losing running fitness when she reduces her training load over the winter. Um, mm-hmm. So she was thinking about having um, a season, an off season, where she just focuses on strength three to four times a week. Um, but mm-hmm. would she then lose running fitness? So yeah, I think that's just a bit of a confusion into like how long. The, the base training needs to be and what exactly we should be doing which hopefully we'll find out find out now so how long it should be the short answer is as long as possible okay so it really depends on when the next build for a particular race is going to be and obviously depending on that particular race and the demands of that race the build for that specific race will will vary you know, it might be that you're just building for, let's say, a half marathon and you just need a nine week build for a half marathon. It might be you're doing a marathon. You want to do more like a 12 week build. Um, it might be you're looking for, you know, 50K, in which case it might be more like a 16 week build. 100 miler might be more like a 20 or even 24 week specific build. So it really depends on the demands of that race where you're starting from and where you're trying to get to. So that will vary by the individual. So essentially what we're talking about is anything in between a rest, now whether that's a kind of end of season rest, whether that's a post race rest and recovery and the next specific. So it might be as little as a few weeks or it might be as long as a few months. It really depends on you and the the events that you've got lined up. Okay. So that kind of covers the uh, the distance or the the time duration that that winter base or that base phase will consist of. In terms of the worry about losing fitness, the short answer is you have to, because you cannot maintain this peak level of fitness for a race um. all year round. You will burn out. You will get broken. So you have to accept that your fitness will come down. Mm-hmm. The question is, how far do you let it come down? Because obviously the lower it drops down, the more it'll take to then bring it back up again. Um, it depends on how much that peak took out of you as to how low you want to then bring it back down again. So for some people who are happily maintaining a fairly steady level of fitness throughout the race season, may only need to drop it by... 10, 20%, that might be enough. Other people will need to drop it down by, you know, 40, 50%. It really will depend on the individual. But you need to accept you are going to lose some levels of 
fitness. Yeah, and that's what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then and you've got to ease back in. You're then building that freshness back into the legs again. And again, yes, your fitness will come down, but it'll come back up nice and quick as well. So it won't take as much out of you to get back up to maybe where you were previously. Muscle memory is there. You've learned what it's like to, uh, to build that, that strength up, to build that endurance. You know, the, the underlying conditioning will be there. So it will come back up again relatively quickly. It won't be as, as painful to get your fitness back up to where you were historically. Yeah. So that'd be a useful message is just don't fear that fitness drop. Yeah, so, you know, if yeah. you're looking at your, your numbers on Strava or on training peaks and things like that, and you're seeing, you know, your fitness scores come down, don't worry, don't panic. They will come back up again. And that's a good, healthy place to be. Yeah. And I think it, it sounds like a good idea to focus on strength, does it not? Like, um, I think a lot of runners overlook strength and, and don't build it into their plan as much as they should. So to focus on strength, um, maybe yeah. focusing on some weaknesses, like some areas of muscular weakness within the body sounds like a really good idea. Yeah, that's it. You know, if, if you're time poor, then generally speaking, you're going to need to focus on you know, the biggest bang for your buck. So it's going to be sport specific. So it's going to be going out running. Now you can build strength work into your runs, you know, hill reps, for example, you know, putting in some walking lunges, hopping, skipping, those kind of drills, build the plyometrics in. So you can build strength type activities into your runs. Wow. But of course, if you then decrease some of that running volume over the course of the week, that might then free up some hours in your, your days and weeks to then add in maybe a couple of specific gym sessions so we can then actually get in there and yes lay some really solid foundations build up your tendon strength build up your power in the weights room which will then transfer nicely to your actual running of course in an ideal world you'll keep that running going all season long you know that is just something that just sits in your program all the time um, but it, it does depend somewhat on your time availability yeah um, and and then I'm just thinking as well, like if you're dropping your um, your sort of the, the amount that you're running and the intensity that you're running, do you need to sort of watch what you eat in just in case you just, just eat the same and then you just become really fat at the end of winter base training? Or is that part of it too? Is that like a hibernation thing like, like with bears? Yes. Um, I would say sort of both of those, those points are, are true. So... If your volume has decreased significantly, then your energy demands are going to come down, of course. So you do then need to think about eating for the work required. And if the work load has come down a lot, do you really need to be eating quite as much as you were previously? Maybe not. So it might be worth then doing a little bit of a, a kind of food diary and looking at your training. And we can talk about sort of periodizing your nutrition over the course of your training cycles as well so obviously if your training intensity has come right down you're not doing those high intensity interval sessions things like that then maybe your need for lots of you know high octane fuel your your simple carbohydrates you know your, your gels they might therefore come down that need might come down if it is a lot more low intensity based conditioning you might be taking on more 
um, sort of complex nutritional sort of mix of carbs, fats, proteins. Um, so things like, you know, real food. This might be time to experiment with other products. You know, I use the supernatural fuel pouches, for example, which are, you know, it's real food blended up. The intensity is right down, so I can do my, my long runs on just that versus when I'm putting more intensity in there where I'll mix it in with more simple um quick acting sugars, so things like the precision fuel and hydration gels, uh, or energy drink as well. So it really depends on on that sort of phase. But yes, it may well be that your overall daily nutrition demands come down. So therefore you you need to maybe slightly slim down on those portion servings. Um, you know, athletes love having the massive bowl of cereal in an evening before bed. Do you really need that? Um, I never do that. <laughs> Uh, I, I didn't know that was a thing. I'll have to do that. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Any athlete worth their salt is having cereal three times a day. Oh, <laughs> I don't really like cereal that much. It just seems a bit wheaty to me. Yeah, well, and it it's expensive, what... apart from yeah, it's porridge. Um, however, what I would also put in there is putting on a little bit of extra weight in the winter. So you said about your bear hibernating, you know, putting on that sort of winter, winter fat is actually a good thing. Oh, excellent, because I looked in the mirror the other day and, yes, that was definitely happening to me. <laughs> definitely well, mama bear over here. <laughs> but, it's, but that's it. It's healthy. We're supposed to do that. You know, if nothing else, we're, we're storing some extra fats in there, which is going to help our immune system. Brilliant. So, that is all I know, need to hear. <laughs> the, uh, the weight's off in the winter. You're more likely to pick up, you know, coughs and colds. So you're more likely to miss blocks of training. Carrying a couple of extra kg over the winter, but training consistently, that's what's going to pay off in the long run. Yeah. Ah, and also, you're training with a little bit of extra weight, so then come Absolutely. summer, when you sh shed it and shred, then exactly. and then like, running's going to get easier again. Yeah, oh, brilliant. So look, think about it as you know, extra resistance training. It's not a bad thing carrying a few extra kg over the winter. As you start to ramp up into race, race mode, that will naturally start to come off again without without even trying. Oh, I was wondering why I was craving crisps every night. I've been like craving crisps and I said to Steve, I just really fancy some crisps and all we had was these hula hoops and hula hoops are rubbish. They're not real crisps, are they? Um, so I had a packet of hula hoops last night and it was tiny. They're tiny. They've got even smaller than I remember. Um, and I was like, I've got to go out and buy myself a big bag of those huge, lovely, like, you know, those Piper's crisp things. And, uh -huh. and I said, maybe it's because I'm hibernating, Steve. And Steve was like, yes, Claire, whatever. <laughs> but, but yeah. now I've heard it from you. It's you a go. thing. You it's are. an actual yeah. thing. Um. And I just want to read. Everybody thinks this is really good, by the way. Um, everybody, um, I'm just going to read you some chats on the live because I just want you to know. Um, Liquor in the front says, this is really great, guys. Very, very informative. Sarah says, agreed. This is all super helpful. Neil Tim says, totally agreed. This is great. Um, and then, yes, people are like, yep, crisps are the best. I've been putting on a lot of weight and I feel better about it. So I think you've made everybody feel really good there, um, including me. That's great. <laughs> Thanks and for that. I'll just say about hula hoops. So um, one of the guys who worked with Andy Morley, who's, again, multiple podium finisher on spine races. Um, hula hoops are his secret weapon for racing. <laughs> um, he gets the salts in there, a uh, bit, bit of savoury. 
yeah. breaks up the sweetness of the gels. So yeah, that's that's his secret weapon is yeah. packets of loops and, and different flavours mixed together as well. So, yeah. yeah. loops are great for races because you can just stick your fingers in the bag and they all come out with a hula hoop ring on, don't they? And you just bite them off like one by one. Yeah. But other crisps, they, they grind up so small, don't they? You have to sort of like get a, like a it's hard to get a fistful of those tiny little crisps once they've once they've sort of broken themselves up so yeah i'm all for hula hoops on races definitely yeah now you need to get a new uh, crisp sponsor for your show oh a crisp sponsor yes if saw would just make some ethical eco-friendly crisps then that would be absolutely fantastic <laughs> um, um so so right so we've got what is base winter base training um we've got when to do it we've got how long you should do it um and it's okay to not to drop a bit of fitness it's okay to put on a little bit of weight that will come off during the spring and also we need it to be warm another thing i've just remembered is once i was training for the costa rica coastal challenge and that was in february and it was a very hot race and my coach said to me um just like if you lose some weight you'll be colder on the race so i went like all out this was like the last time i ever tried losing weight and <laughs> massively backfired in the end because i got injured but i got really skinny like for me skinny yeah. and i was freezing that winter and i, I never usually run with like a load loads of layers on i was running with like all these fleecy layers on that people buy and i just was very very cold and it just wasn't me it wasn't for me getting really thin over winter so all about being a proper bear for winter yeah absolutely i mean uh, the the lightest i ever went for racing was um sort of six percent body fat um what's that in kilograms um so i mean i'm one of my sort of five six just maybe um and i went down to 56 kg yes so that's what that i was, was 57 and i'm five seven so yeah i went down to 57 kilograms too thin nine stone yeah. not good um I, I essentially if i got cold i couldn't warm up again so i, I couldn't control my body temperature yeah, I many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. It was like that too. It's not healthy but going that way. How does Paula Radcliffe be that thin? She's that thin all the time. Different. I, so we're maybe going down a, a, a different path here. Into <laughs> a slight segue. It's okay. It's all segue. very interesting. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, weight, it does play a part somewhat in performance on the very shorter distance racing. Um, but you always need to offset that with the health uh, health demands. And again, I think if we historically look back at athletics, they've gone, and, and probably other endurance sports as well, they've gone too light, compromised other health 
metrics. Ah. Um, so this is where, again, you know, we may want to have a, a chat another time about things like relative energy deficiency. Yeah, so red. Yeah. Um, and the multitude of negative issues that, that come along with that. So I wouldn't be looking at historical athletes for some okay. inspiration on that one. Uh, yeah. Might be this work for them, um, but I'd be not yeah. getting too caught up about that one. Yeah, well, they're elite anyway, so they're completely different anyway, and they probably have like a different bone structure to to mere mortals like us. <laughs> and a lot more, you know, almost daily consultations with nutritionists, so making sure that they're not deficient in any particular areas. So yeah, yes, yeah. Um, we've gone off on a tangent. Yes, yes. Um, Neil Timms has put really responsible messaging, messaging Tim. So yeah, everyone appreciates that. Yes, we have gone off on a tangent. Um, so I was just wondering, like in terms of winter base training, is there anything you really shouldn't do? Like, is there anything really doesn't play a part in this winter base training that you decide when it is, how long you want to do? Like, what shouldn't people doing be doing? Um, I suppose one thing is nothing at all, because you just okay. therefore not going to be laying any foundations. So you shouldn't be uh, doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, so you know that might be just your short off season, um, but you know the base is just laying those foundations. What should you not be doing? That's an interesting one. Um, like drinking too much, maybe like alcohol, partying hard at six o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that sort of I suppose goes you know without saying. Um, there's there's a time and the place for all of that, and I suppose you know we're now approaching the holiday season, aren't we? So there will be parties happening, there will be social events happening, and that's fine. You know, in in the grand scheme of things, that's okay. Um, but of course, you don't want to be going completely off the wagon because it just makes it harder to get back on the wagon again. Um, you made me think of the, the old story about, um, I think it was Jan Ulrich, uh, the cyclist, Tour de France cyclist. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Jan, who in the winter, because obviously they have to be so strict with their nutrition and get really skinny for, for racing the Grand Tours. You know, he would come back from a, a bike ride in the winter months, um, get a big jar of Nutella, stick it in the microwave and melt it and drink it with a straw. <laughs> Imagine he then put on quite a lot of weight <laughs> to the point where he was unrecognisable. <gasps> and really? then he would have to work hard to try and get all this weight back off again. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so I suppose, you know, don't take it too far. You know, there's, there's extremes, aren't there? Yeah. Um, so the, the further you, you go away from your, your good habits and your, your good routines the harder it is to get back on it again. But the occasional indulgences, things like that, really not a problem. Yeah. Moderation. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm thinking also, like, would this be, like, uh, not necessarily in the winter, but in a base training period, would it be a good time to, we've talked about strength training, but do other forms of cross-training? Like, Absolutely. There's a guy, um, uh, Peter, one of my patrons, um, he says... 
um, he's just started commuting to work on his bike and he's doing that once a week now. So it's 20 kilometers yep. round trip. And so he gets about two hours of biking in once a week. Um, he's just wondering if he could replace a run with this bike session. Like, um, is it the of equivalent of say one hour easy run maybe? Like um, he's not doing any like crazy sprinting or climbing or anything like that, but he just yep. wondered what you thought. Absolutely. So we mentioned before, obviously, the danger is you could be running and racing all year round, and that's not healthy. We need some some downtime. If we look at some of the most successful endurance athletes, they will have a block of time, that, that base, where they may be doing a different sport. So if we look at our ultra runners, our mountain athletes, what are they doing in the winter? Schemo. They want skis. Yeah. Um, so there was an interesting, uh, if anybody's listened to some of Jim Walmsley's post-UTMB uh, interviews, uh, he obviously talked about this. He's obviously shifted away from the sort of USA running track type background, immersed himself over in France and immersed himself in the European approach, got himself into schema spending the winter doing schema racing and then transitioning into running. So there's a big block where you're not pounding those legs. Look at Killian Journey. What's he doing? Ski, ski mountaineering over the winter, climbing, things like that. Then taking that fitness back into running again. Yeah. Um, going back to Jim and in his sort of interview there, that was one of the, his kind of big takeaways was don't run all year round. Yeah. And, you know, his message back to the, the American athletes was, all right, you may not have the mountains to go ski mode for three months of the year. Go mountain biking. Just drop the running right down and pick it up with some mountain biking. So we can maybe maintain a level of fitness, but through a different sport. And then we slowly transition so that other sport maybe starts to drop back down again and the running then picks back up again. So absolutely, build some biking into it. Um, I myself are uh, increasing my, my bike volume um, over this, this winter phase uh, and will probably maintain that throughout the season. I'm going to try a different approach for, for next year with, with, more, with more bike work in there. But yeah, absolutely. You know, if you're thinking about, so if we go back to the, let's say, a spring marathon. Yeah. So if, if you're a runner that's looking to do a, a 3.30, hour marathon. We want to build a level of fitness where exercising for four hours is not a problem for you. But if we ask you to do a regular four-hour run over the winter, the chances are you're going to pick up some injuries. But go out there and do a two, three, four-hour bike ride. You can build that metabolic fitness ready for when you then need to start transitioning into your marathon prep. So, yeah, use the bike to, to build up the volume that you're going to need for your running later on. Mm. It might be, again, I use the bike a lot for helping runners work on their cadence. So if you know that your running cadence is maybe a bit on the slow side and that's something that's been commented on that you need to try and turn your feet over a bit quicker, use the bike, do some high spin work, spin classes, things like that, get the neuromuscular ability to spin your legs quicker on the bike and then transition that into the running later on. Um, it might be about working on some leg strength. So maybe you find climbing hills, hard work on, on the legs. Do some leg strength on the bike, some low cadence, high resistance 
pedaling there. So again, you can use the bike for some some other specific areas that you need to work on. Yeah, that's a really good shout. I, I'm thinking of taking one of my running sessions and doing it on the bike instead, just over November, just to ease this injury off a bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, that sounds really good. Um, do you, do you if I come back to the question was, you know, yeah. what do I replace it with? Yeah, like, is it an equivalent of like, is two hour no. on the bike like a one hour run or like, because it's easier, isn't it, biking than running? I find it easier. It anyway. And your heart rate is going to be lower on the bike for the same effort than it would be running. Yeah. So if you uh, often it's about sort of maybe 10 beats lower. So if you're thinking, you know, my, my zone one, zone two, something um, running, my heart rate would be, let's say, 140 beats a minute for a steady long run. Your steady bike, it might be 130 beats a minute. So you're not trying to match the same kind of heart rate okay. because you're not overcoming gravity on the bike. Um, but 130, you're still getting the same type of efforts and training effect. There are people who, who sort of claim that a 90-minute bike is the same as a one-hour run, things like that. No, it's not. A 90-minute bike is a 90-minute bike. <laughs> um, one-hour run is a one-hour run. Um, 90 minutes outside is not the same as 60 minutes inside on the turbo. or Because, yes, on the turbo, there aren't any kind of freewheeling downhill sections, things like that. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I wouldn't try and kind of go, well, in order to, to get the same effects I'm looking at, X amount of minutes more biking versus it is they're different and don't get too caught up in those differences. Yeah, it's not like uh, a swap in, swap out situation. No, mm -hmm. I mean if we're really trying to nail down the sort of training stress scores, then we can okay we can use a lot of the historical data in, in an athlete's program. We can work out depending on what their zones are, okay. what training effect we're looking for. Yeah. But for most people, I wouldn't get too worried about that. Um, if you're commuting on the bike and you're adding an extra hour of, of easy volume in there, fantastic. That's an, an extra hour of easy volume to and from work um, rather than doing an extra sort of hours easy. Fine. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it, it's good for him to, to, to not do one run and do this bike as his like base training yeah. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then that might be something that then gets continued through to next season. Yeah. So what's the difference between last season and next season? Well, next season, your volume's now gone up by an extra couple of hours a week because you've got into the habit and the routine of cycling to and from work, and then you build your runs back on top of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I really like the idea of that because when I was training for the Coastal Challenge in Costa Rica, I had a training plan that had like five runs on it. Um, and then I was training for a, a really fast half marathon, like to see how fast I could go um, whilst I was that thin, basically. And I was doing five runs a week and I, I got injured like two weeks just before the half marathon. I still did like, a, you know, a, a good time that I was pleased with, but um, I got injured. And I, I've since then, I've sort of not, I always used to be quite a multi-sport athlete and, and now I'm not, I just run. And I think now that you've said that, I think I am going to put more biking back into my program because I really mm. like it. <laughs> I've got a trainer. I can put Finley in it. Um, and yeah, and I love swimming as well. There's some chat on the live chat as well that says um, you've got to watch out for all this biking and things. Um, like Sean O'Keefe says, this is how you get sucked into triathlon. And Neil Tim said that's exactly what happened to him. Um, and then Sean um, says... Um, 
he he went the other way because it's so much cheaper to just run on the trails um, and none of that heinous swimming. <laughs> I really like swimming though. It's the only thing that I can basically beat a lot of men on is the swim. So I, like on all the triathlons that I ever did, I'd come out the water like quite far ahead and then all these men had just zoomed past me on the bike. It was really depressing. <laughs> if only they did the swim at the end. <laughs> um, so that's exciting. Um, and there was one one person here. Uh, oh yes, Gmeth said also, to minimize wear and tear, keep it varied. I'm thinking of doing more power walks up hills for a defined time period instead of grinding out a long run. Like, mm -hmm. does that also sound like what could be part of a good winter base training um, uh, plan? Yeah, so, you know, we talked about this before for, for ultra marathons. That we want to work on our slowest speed and making our slowest speed a little faster. Mm -hmm. So if you think about, you know, the name ultra running is not really very accurate. It's, it's <laughs> not you know, for me. Ultra walking with a bit of jogging mixed in occasionally. So if we accept that walking is going to be a very large part of whatever we do with, with trail, trail running, ultra running, whatever it might be, working on your, your hiking is also going to be a, a good use of your time. Yeah. So trying to improve how fast you can hike, how fast you can walk uphill. Um, yes, the impact forces of walking are significantly lower than running. You know, walking on the flat, you're talking about sort of 1.2 to 1.5 times your body weight. Running is going to be between three and five times your body weight, depending on how fast you're running. So, so yes, the impact forces are going to be less. So those stresses are going to be less. Um, I would just pull up the, the kind of phrase wear and tear. We're trying to get rid of that phrase in the, okay. the medical community. Um, because, I mean, running doesn't cause wear and tear. Good. Um, <laughs> Thank goodness. So if anything, it's going to strengthen the joints. It's going to strengthen the bones. Things, um, The kind of some of those changes that we, we kind of historically we would call wear and tear are generally more kind of inflammatory driven by other lifestyle factors. Mm -hmm. But again, let's not get drawn down a, another tangent too much. <laughs> I love a tangent. Uh, People love the tangents. <laughs> um, but yeah, but let's just try and get rid of that phrase wear and tear. Yes. Cause yeah, that's it's kind of it makes you think it's like a war of attrition, doesn't yeah. it? Like on your muscles and you're just like, oh, I've, I've only got a, a finite amount of this, cartilage or whatever it is or this like gotcha. synovial fluid and I and now it's going to wear it away it's not like you're uh, an actual piece of equipment you grow don't you and you like just making yourself run and having those impact forces on your body actually promotes the growth and the repair of stuff doesn't exactly. it yeah exactly so you know the incidence of you know osteoarthritic changes is probably less in runners than it is in the general public so yeah, yeah. because you've maintained good joint health um, through those impact forces yeah. um, and the impact forces of running can promote cartilage repair so yeah anyway let's not go down that rabbit hole but yes in, in incorporating more hiking um, and again you know it comes back to time on feet doesn't it so as i said before about maybe using the bike to build up that metabolic endurance before you then start building in the running yeah, going out there and hiking for, you know, two, three, four, five hours, you know, things like that. Yeah, brilliant. Um, if it is your, your climbing speed, maybe it is just doing some, some climbs, 
maybe it's getting on the treadmill even and doing tread hills. So, you know, just cranking it up to 10, 15% on the treadmill and, and hiking as fast as you can for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 40 minutes, whatever it might be. Yeah, absolutely. That's all good, good conditioning. Yeah, so there's a lot you can do with walking and, you know, like maybe if you haven't got a 20 minute hill or a treadmill, you could just do a three minute hill and walk up it as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. 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 Or a subway or some stairs even. Like, um, Indeed. Yes. I know a guy who trained for the Bob Graham round in Manchester and in London, like in the centre, yeah. so not very hilly yeah. at all. And he trained by going up a multi-storey car park with like three flights, yep. of, five flights of stairs. And, and he said, actually, that was really good mental training as well because of the boredom of just going up and down. He knew that he would have what it took when he was surrounded by all the beautiful scenery finally doing his run. So he got yeah. through that. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about the training plans that you've prepared for Wild Ninja Running next, um, like as part of the final kind of closing questions, Tim. Um, so Tim has very kindly prepared some base training plans um, for Wild Ginger Running um, people um, for a very reasonable price on his Training Peaks website, well, the, his area of Training Peaks, the, the big training website there. So I've put the link in the film description below and you'll find it in the podcast show notes as well. Um, but yeah, do you want to just like take us through what you've planned there, Tim? And, and you're going to put some more up there as well, like depending on what people want, aren't you? Yeah, so obviously the, the question coming through on on your private patrons channel was sort of what should i be doing mm. uh, giving some some structure to this this phase of of the the training cycle so i just put up a, a few examples of maybe some things you might want to be working on so there's some some shorter blocks where you might be thinking i just want to work on some skills and drills um maybe want to work on some some speed and just trying to get running a little faster um, before then introducing longer intervals, which might be then part of the next main training block. So, yeah, there's a, there's a few examples up there. Uh, there's some eight weeks and 12 week plans, and I'll basically I can copy over and add, add on some different examples depending on what your, your listeners want. So, yeah, drop us a line on um, your private Facebook group, and if there are some particular requests of, of styles then I'll, I'll put some different examples up there yeah that like, sounds really great um yeah. and like I'm sure in the future you might do some strength training plans as well like specifically for ultra runners and and that kind of thing yeah and, a few of those yeah if that's useful yeah and I think then I might make a video of some of them you know and people could sort of follow along with them um uh but yeah, it's it's really useful to it's just really useful to have it written down like that as a plan. Like and just just listening to what you're saying and all the different decisions that you've got to make depending on your personal situation and, and, and how you train. It just makes me think how useful it is to to get yourself a coach. Like it, it really does take all of the guesswork out of everything. Yeah. You know, so plans are brilliant. And obviously plans are better than having no plan at all. <laughs> It'll help you structure what you're doing week by week. It'll make sure you don't do too much too quickly. Um, it'll make you work on some some areas that you wouldn't maybe normally work on. Uh, you know, the magic is in the work that you're maybe not doing. So it's focusing in on that. Um, so that's where having a plan is, is really useful. And it gives you some accountability because there's the, the plan, it's on your calendar, that's what you're supposed to do today, which is great. Um, but of course, no plan survives co first contact with the enemy. And the enemy 
for us is life and <laughs> family things like that so you know yes there's those plans there but you'll probably need to shuffle things around regarding you know what your personal demands are on your time um you know for example the plans are up there but the, the days where the rest days are might not suit your your weekly pattern so you may need to move things around there or what happens if you do you know get sick or you've got to look after the kids because the kids are off school or you know things like that um and obviously we've got christmas coming up which probably would fall in in the block of some of these um so the next thing the next step up from there is obviously then having a, a one-to-one coach but obviously that is a bigger commitment both in terms of terms of um, resources, financial commitment, um, and time commitment, and that's not right for everybody. You know, for for some people, it is just having a plan to follow, and that's absolutely fine. So it's a starting point. It's better than nothing, uh, and it may might be the gateway into then working with a coach on a one-to-one basis. Yeah, or just like working with a coach for like a certain race. You know, like if you've got a goal, like if you really, really want to like do 100 miles or you want to get a certain yeah. time for some certain distance, then yeah. working with a coach just for like half a year or a year even might be like a worthwhile investment. But I, I just didn't even know that you had all these plans um, on Training Peaks because um, you've got loads of plans, haven't you? Not just the Wild Ginger Running selection yeah, that you've yeah. made for this yeah. podcast. You've got loads of like, there's um, all the plans for 50K, 50 miles, 100 miles. Um, and strength yep. training work as well so and yep. they're all really reasonably priced so I just think uh, I need to tell everybody about that and let everybody know just so that they know because you don't like I was thinking you just have to get a coach and that's it and so you've either got like this nothing expense or like a like a huge outlay so yeah, yeah. in between you can just get a training plan from a qualified person like Tim yep. here and um, it'll be um, it's just fantastic like the moment you start training consistently like to a plan that you just see so I just saw so much like massive performance benefits um I see, and, and, yeah. you know there's plenty of training plans out there um whether it's in books and obviously you've got a book coming out and, and i've helped with putting some example yes. training plans in your book the next uh, book the ultra running book will be coming out next year but tim has been very influential he's made basically all the training plans and i've just copied them uh, Taking a, you know, taking a training plan from a website, from a book, um, is all well and good. But it's, is that right for your particular intensity? Um, so the nice thing about the Training Peaks plans, and yes, there's my plans, and there's plenty of other people out there who've got other training plans on the Training Peaks store, um, is using Training Peaks, as long as you've got your training zones correctly set up, so you've got your heart rate zones, maybe your pace or power, depending on what you're using, those plans will then automatically be calculated to your specific pace, intensity, whatever it be. It will then talk to your watch and it will tell your watch what the plan is, what the session is. So literally, you know, Monday, what am I doing? I'm going for a run. You click on run on your watch and it'll go, this is your session today. Wow. And it will literally take you through it. And if Ooh. you try and run too hard, it will beep at you. <laughs> the heart rate's too high. Bring it down a touch. Um, or if you're not working hard enough, it'll give you a kick on the backside and tell you to work a bit harder. <laughs> so it'll keep you in the, in the right intensity zones. Yeah, I'm just so imagining a watch with one of those big fingers, you know, like on Gladiator when they had the pointy big foam fingers. It comes out of the watch and just whacks you on the bum when you're not running fast enough. I just too much imagination there <laughs> someone needs to invent that <laughs> um, 
Ah, well, that is fantastic. I'm really glad that you've put these training plans together for us. And I'm really glad that I found them as well, because I, I like to pitch a halfway entry level drug to people. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a <laughs> A gate, gateway drug, yeah, to coaching, because um, I, I just thank it's just so much appreciated. Everybody just really likes these chats on the channel, and it's just really nice of you to spend this hour with us one, every month or so. So yeah, I think we should all give Tim something back by buying one of his training plans. Um, <laughs> so, so, and also that uh, brings me on to the yes, the the, the clothes, closing bit, which is the winter kit bit. So if you've got the right kit, then it will be really easy to go out and train in winter. So um, absolutely. If you have a look at the Saw running kit, because we have got that amazing 15% discount there for the code, which you'll find in the film description below and in the podcast show notes. So I've just popped a little picture up. If you're watching on the YouTube channel, there's lots of different running stuff from Saw there. And I am wearing the Windbreaker at the moment, which is a lovely fleecy lined, um, very comfy, very warm layer for winter. And then when you get too hot, you just take it off and tie it around your waist. It's brilliant. Um, so I've been enjoying wearing that. Um, yeah, I um, hope you find something that will fit you from Saw um, for the 15% discount that I've managed to wrangle from them. Um, so yeah, uh, that concludes the podcast. Well, I'll, I'll jump in there as well yeah. and give, uh, give, give Scarpa some love. So Scarpa. Uh, foot, winter footwear, really footwear. important. Yes. Uh, and Scarpa produced their spin ST, ST meaning soft terrain. So massive lugs, really good grip. Uh, so if you're out there in the, the muddy trails, check out the, the spin ST, uh, or there's also for the more kind of mountain, which where you need a bit more kind of rock protection, there's the Calibra uh, ST as well. That's with the new Boa la uh, lacing system. Oh, nice. That's Have you got those? Have you been trying that? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm. So that's that's really useful as well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, have a have a check out of that. And in fact, I think the picture you've used for the um, the kind of banner, no, not banner, what am I looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, thumbnail. Thumbnail. Uh, yes, for the YouTube video. thumbnail. Uh, there's myself and, and Joe up in the lakes running in the snow. But, yeah, oh, I'm in the... They were the um, the sort of prototype shoes that I was in last oh. winter, the ah. STs. So, yeah, really, really good. Mud, snow, anything. Awesome. So get yourself in some... In the streets, I, I believe Kong Running are doing some demo sessions. So you can go there, you can try the shoes, and you've got a chance to, to win a pair of uh, spin STs there. So if you're in the Lake District or the Northwest, go and check out Kong Running. Kong running yep and uh, yeah you can try before you buy there that's always really good isn't it a really good shout yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome so get yourself a pair of scarpa shoes and kit by saw and you'll be completely prepared and some supernatural fuel as well everything beginning with s we don't like to have be sponsored by anyone that's not beginning with s here on the wild ginger running um and tim how can we follow you how can we find out more about what you're doing next uh, easiest place for sort of running stuff is the instagram so Tim Piggott, HP3, so you can check me out there. Uh, I'm sure you can stick a, a logo in somewhere, <laughs> I think, somewhere. Um, or, yeah, check out the website, hp-3.co.uk. Awesome. Um, so we've got a chat book next on the 5th of December. It possibly, we've talked a little bit about maybe winter motivation, but, you know, it's up for grabs. If any patrons want to send in any suggestions for what me and Tim should chat about next time, then just give me a shout on the patron Facebook group or in patron itself. Um, but thank you so much, Tim. It's always really great to chat to you. Um, and goodbye, everybody. Have a good winter-based training. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.